Kane, and welcome to Movie Reviews, sponsored by the Heroes Asylum. And I'm one of your hosts. I'm Kane. I'm here with Mike. Good evening, sir. How's it going, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. We're continuing our journey into the 70s, and it's our last decade month. We should toss a little tear. But uh, our last review, we're doing one of probably a, a movie that um is best known for people in our sphere as one of the, I think it's the second movie that George Lucas did before, uh, I think, 1492. Or k was his first movie, I believe. This is his second film. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. you had, yeah, you had, well, you had THX 1138. THX 11 was the first one, yeah. and this is his second one. So if, if you guys don't know what we're saying, George Lucas, this is his second film, and I believe this is the film before Star Wars. Yes, yeah. So it, it was, was k and then it was this one in the middle. But probably one of my favorite movies of that era is American Graffiti, and that's what we're going to be reviewing today. And, Mike, I'll let you go for it. American Graffiti! Where were you in 62? Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown, and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti! Baby, what's that? It's a movie! Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time! Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Jeez, what a waste of machinery. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. What did, what did you say? Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. And I bet you're smart enough to get us some brew. Ballpoint pen, pint of old Harper. Okay, you got an ID for the liquor? Not until I left the car. You'll have to get it before. Oh, well, I I also, I forgot the car. We're finally getting out of this turkey town. You just can't stay 17 forever. You ever get tired of going to daddy with somebody that ain't around? I'm up for grand. If I had a boyfriend, he'd pound you. What's wrong? Go to hell. Get your boogaloos out, baby. The Wolfman is everywhere. Sixteen candles. You know Toby Juarez? We killed him last night. Excuse me, I think we've had an accident. Well, I won't report you this time, but next time, just watch it, will you? I can dig it. It's one of those great old movies about romance, racing, and rock and roll. Oh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Where were you in 62? Oh, well, yeah, we're looking at American Graffiti. Uh, this is 1973. So this is our almost second oldest movie because our one we did last week, Willy Wonka, 
was the oldest movie. Uh, but you talk about, you know, you, you called him St. George Lucas. Uh, this is not only George Lucas. This is also produced by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Um, this was also written by George uh, Gloria Katz, who w- was uh, went along with him for a, quite a bit of uh, of other things. He uh, worked with on Temple of Doom, Howard the Duck. Uh, so she, you know, she continued on, and then a William uh, Huck. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. Uh, was also one of the other writers. He also continued on with George as well. Yeah. And then you t- look at the cast of people that are on here. It's oddly enough, guys. Uh, you can, I know you're not going to hear this, this the show, but how we're doing it tonight, we're doing the, re- the uh, review, but we're going to be doing a watch along, Kane and I, later, and that's going to be next week's show. It's also got Richard Dreyfus. I didn't realize we were doing a Richard Dreyfus, uh, yeah, Richard Dreyfus <laughs> marathon tonight. I think he's one of the kids at the, um, at the diner. Booth. Yeah, yeah. He's, one, he's sort of the main character. He's he's that run through of the main character through the whole movie. Um, he's kind of like that 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 center point that draws everybody back in, uh, and he is sort of the Lucas character because this was based off of George's youth, set in uh, Modesto, California, in 1962. Um, so it's you know set around that. But not only you have Richard Dreyfuss, you also have Ron Howard's first uh, movie. Uh, this yeah. is post um, Happy Days. I think it's or, I think or no pre happy days. days. Yeah, sorry, pre happy days. Yeah, because one of the because char- one of the actors or characters that's in here is based on on the Fonz. And I'm yeah, yes, it is. Or the Fonz was based off of this character. Sorry. And I believe uh, one of the girls from Laverne and Shirley was in this also yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. You had like I said, yeah. You have Richard Dreyfuss, Ron Howard, uh, Paul Lamont, future Harrison Ford, Cindy Williams, who uh, was in Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, that's Cindy Williams. Yep. Uh, Candy Clark, a, a young, young, young uh, Mackenzie Phillips. Is in wow, here. McKinley. Yeah, uh, you also have uh, the Wolfman Jack, and uh, Suzanne Summers was in here as well. So I mean, when you look at the cast, it's kind of the who's who or who's going to be who uh, in the '80s, really. I mean, when you yeah. look at the cast uh, of of who is on here, and of course, you know the the story is this is where George discovers Harrison for. Oh, uh, for for um, for for, for Star for, Wars, um, yeah, Star sorry. Wars, yeah. That's uh, like the uh, beginning point, I guess. Uh, when he um he did the um, uh, I think what are they? Uh, was it screen tests? I think they did a screen. When they test did for- the screen test, he he grabbed Harrison because he'd already worked with him, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I, I know you can read. I know you can act. Just just sit here and do the screen test with us." And then that's when he just discovered he's like, "Man, they there's just chemistry here." Uh, but Harrison was actually uh, initially turned down the film to be in this film because he uh, he was only offered four hundred eighty five dollars a week. Um, and he was making more as a carpenter. He was making more as a carpenter, yeah, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, uh, like, hey, you want to? You know, we, we make a movie. You be movie star. Now I'm making more. To, you know, banging this nail. I'm making here. more, just like you know, hitting some nails. And yeah, parts. so it's you know it's kind of funny that uh, that you know that's how it was. But I guess you know probably after this he went back to being carpenter and then just you know they were at the studio together and he's like, hey. Can you help me? I'll throw you some money, and then he ended up, you know, getting, you know, probably, you know, his his biggest career move was that, and that's what helped him bounce into Indiana Jones, and then, you know, just take off from and there. Then, yeah, that pretty much cemented him, in and onward he went. Yep. So, uh, but uh, now, the due to the low budget of this, George Lucas was unable to pay a lot of the crew members. Uh, so, when you guys watch it. What he did is he offered to give them many of them screen credit in lieu of payment, and they accepted. Now, traditionally in the movies, the only the department heads receive screen credit. So when you're seeing that long list 
of everybody at the end, that's just the department head. That doesn't include all the guys, you know, in the bottom. So, but giving a screen credit to so many crew members ha- uh, has now become kind of the tradition. But back then, that wasn't the tradition. And that's, again, another sign, you know, George bucking the system in a way uh, for credits. Because if, uh, if nobody remembers when he uh, did Star Wars, that was the big issue with, um, because there was no credit at the beginning of the movie. And he said no. And uh, there at first, I think there was a fine at first for him to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, he's like, no, we're going to continue. And they're like, no. And that's when he, he stepped out of the, uh, the director's guild. Yeah. So, again, another sign of him, you know, bucking the system. And, uh, and winning, yeah, and winning, and if winning again. Yeah. Hindsight, he won. Like, he, like just years later, like in, and it's like you know, I don't know how he is. I think he's in the mid late seventies or maybe early eighties. But he bucked the system and he basically forced it, and he won. Yeah, he won. And I think there's a lot of times where he should have been given director's credit, but he wasn't. I think he couldn't do it on Empire because yeah, because uh, he never he never went back to the you know, to the it, guild, and so he couldn't. You know, there were certain things he couldn't do. Uh, but again, I think that was a blessing in disguise because then we ended up him spending his time working at Lucasfilms and LucasArts and ILM. I don't think if he you know, was put into the Directors Guild again that he would have that, you know, have that opportunity in, in that, that, in that time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He needed that freedom to create because he's a creator. Let's be honest. Is he a great director? That is subject to opinion. But a creator. He's one of the best. He's yeah, the, he's yeah, he's probably you know, he, he's a top. He's probably the best builders. of all time. Yeah, as I far as best of all time, I, I can't think of anybody that has created a universe that has kept on going like it is today. Like yeah. that is a universe that is still and and growing, which is scary. You got to think we, we're we're we're, re, we're reaching uh, fifty years. Yeah, I mean for something, and to we're go, just yeah. and we're just reaching now the levels that we like you and I when we're probably like twelve years old. And we're reading those novels, right? Yep. Oh man, the, 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 it can keep going forward. Now we're just reaching that now. Yeah, we're now finally now. getting that. Yeah. To, yeah. You to see that? that? But yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I don't think there would anybody anybody would argue with him being probably one of the best world creators out there when it comes to once comes to that. So basically, we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, this is um, the last evening of summer vacation in 1962 um you know high school graduates uh and friends kurt henderson and steve balder are hanging out together and let me get the cast list up here so kurt is played by richard dreyfus and steve is played by ron howard uh um ron's character steve he's all excited about no man we're getting finally getting out of this town we're leaving we're leaving we're leaving and uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character, Kurt, through the, like a lot of the movie, he's like, oh, okay, man, yeah, sure, I maybe I'll wait, maybe I'll do this in there. There's a little tension of, you know, wanting to get out, you know, and it feels as though um, Steve doesn't think that Kurt's ready to give up on basically leaving high school. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the communication they have. Uh, they also were met by two other friends, uh, one John Milner, and John is played by uh, Paul Lamott. Uh, he's been in goodness so many so many oh, great things. Wow. The Burning Bed, I think, is probably one of his biggest ones. Puppet Ooh, Master, The Burning uh, Bed, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, he uh, he actually uh, earned um, for best uh, Golden Globe Award uh, for the for American Graffiti, actually from his performance in here. That character is actually what they used to create the fonts for Happy Days. Well, a, a lot of this movie. Is a it's almost like a prequel to Happy Days if you think about it. Like if a lot of the elements they use, the shots, the diner, 
I mean, even the Ron Howard character is not the same Ron Howard character that we get in Happy Days. He's more like the Lucky Go guy. Yeah. This one, he's a little bit more confident, I would say. Yeah. Well, so, this was also during the during the the revival of the – well, actually, this is a few years afterwards because you had the revival of the doo-wop groups going on. You know, Sean yeah. and I, You remember Sean and I and – Oh, my uh, gosh. Sean no, 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 Yeah, and Bowser and stuff like that. You know, that group, you know, they, they played at Woodstock. Most people forget Sean and I was one of the Woodstock acts. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were yeah, – yeah, look, look up the that, look up the acts for uh, for Woodstock. And I you, used to look – I used to watch Sha Na 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 with my with my dad. Yeah, me like, too. I, I, I forgot. I think it came on Friday or something. I forgot what day it came on, but I used to watch that. I used to love it, man. I was all into that doo wop stuff. Guy but, with a freaking black t shirt rolled up, yeah. hair slicked back. Like I literally still wore my hair slicked back yeah. because of Sha Na Na. Well, it's because so, of it's Bowser. It's always Bowser. It's, it's, it's Bowser. It's basically and and, and, and Bowser, we trust. Okay, I, I'm right there with you. Rolled up cigarette in the, in the yeah. Um, but no, primarily the the character of John Milner, the drag racing uh, king in in their small town, was they like no, we need that greaser basically, that type of greaser in Happy Days. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where that was. And then of course Terry the Toad Fields, and Terry the Toad is uh, legendarily played by I always Chris uh, Martin Smith. And, Chris and, Martin. Yeah, if yeah. if you guys have seen I don't know any movie ever. Uh, <laughs> he's been in Starman, The Untouchables, Deep Cover, Deep Impact, Speechless, uh, The Dolphin Tales. I mean, just pretty much. Now, come on, you're a big fan of the Dolphin Tales, don't lie. Yeah, yeah, especially the second one. I was, I was, um, or Dolphin Tales, you know, three, you know. And he did leaves. reprise his role as the Toad in the American Graffiti, or the more American Graffiti, which was the the sequel to this, which was not as good. No, no. But yeah, no. Pretty much, you just—he's—he's he's been in everything that you could probably think of. I can't can't think of anything that he wasn't part of. Even uh, was uh, launched um, uh, his directorial day, uh, time. He was uh, in Space Above and Beyond, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, he's yeah. Been, he's yeah, he's definitely. How old uh, is he still? Is he, is he still with us today or no? Uh, yeah, I think pretty much everybody is. I think. I think. Um, yeah, I think almost everybody. And the cast is still with us. That's amazing for a, for a movie this old, like 1973. And I and I and actually I can say this: this movie was made before I was born. So <laughs> you, were, you were just a twinkle. That's all it was. I was a twinkle in my my mom and dad's eye. Uh, actually, Paul was so, probably conceived. And yeah, I was conceived this year. So yeah, I was technically still around. It was I was an amoeba just floating. Seventy? Chilling. No, this is seventy three, not seventy, not seventy four. Well, seventy three. Well, I had to be conceived, right? Or on this point. Yeah, I guess when this when this came out, you were yeah, your mom was pregnant with you. I guess. Yeah. See. So, and your mom too. So, come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're dude. We're amoebas, dude. Amoebas. Amoeba buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so they're all talking about you know, or they all got together. Um, Steve gives Toad his car. He's like, "Listen, man, I'm leaving town. I'll probably come back around Christmas. I'm, why don't you take my car? Beautiful car." Beautiful and, and the Vespa? Uh, oh. No, 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 not the Vespa. No, the Vespa was the was the was the uh, bike that Toad rolled oh, up okay. on. It was it's the car that he used. Now it's funny. Um, there were about three hundred pre nineteen sixty two cars that were needed to create the the opening scene, the cruising scenes. 
Good Lord. Uh, there were so many. And over 1,000 classic car owners who responded with ads in local newspapers that you know, were interviewed, basically. Uh, and one of them, actually, uh, the, the one uh, – there's a character that's introduced later, uh, that, this blonde that drives around in this uh, white uh, – Oh, I'm oh, sorry. I, I know who that dude is. And that the owner of that car would not leave – would not go that far away from the car. He was always – Right there, ready to jump. You know, yeah, clean it up. One of, yeah, I heard like a lot of people who were like, you know, car enthusiasts who lent their cars for this film. They were like, they were basically on set because, hey, you're going to borrow my wheels. And like, I think he was like the worst one. Yeah, there they were, were saying yeah, they they were every like, time they would call cool. cut, he's over there wiping, wiping the car wiping down. With the down. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah, he was kind of like very anal about it. Like, yeah. yeah. Now, um, now it's funny that that you talked about the Vespa uh, when Charles Martin Smith, who pulls up, who's played who played Toad, pulls up in the Vespa at the beginning. He that crash into the building was not scripted. He genuinely lost control of the bike and crashed right into it. Yeah, <laughs> Lucas kept the cameras rolling. Fortunately, when the accent, and the actor's reaction was like was well done, and he stayed in character. So and he says even further that 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 incident even further uh, like made him realize you know he needed to keep it in there was because when they fir- did the first uh, public premiere the crowd just laughed and you know lost it so um so they he decided just you know I'm going to keep it in there anyways because it just was it per- fit perfectly and it and it was a great tone at the beginning of the movie too it's kind of and it's one of those things we've discussed many times and by the way sorry I hit my mic oh, no. um it's it's it's, it's organic. It's not scripted. It's one of those things you keep in. And there, there's probably thousands of movies that we could talk about that are things that are not planned that just organically happen. And I'm like, you know what? Let's keep it in there. And that's one of those scenes was the Vespa crash. So that, I'm glad they kept that in there. Yeah, so many classic scenes are that, that are that way that, uh, yeah. that most people don't realize if they actually looked and they're like, oh, wow, that wasn't planned, but that stayed and it felt right. We could literally make a whole podcast. Yeah, we that. could. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, Kurt and Steve are, are to travel back east uh, the following morning to start college. Kurt is having second thoughts, like I was mentioning, about leaving Modesto. Steve gives Terry his car to take care of until his return. Uh, Lori, Steve's girlfriend, who is also Kurt's sister, arrives, uh, and that is played by Cindy Williams. Uh, and uh, Steve suggests to Lori that uh, until he um, – sorry, that they see other people while he is away to strengthen their relationship. Good, 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 good call there. Good Though call, not openly upset, she is a, is a, it's affecting their interaction throughout the rest of the night. I mean, you can instantly see the cold, cold shoulder, it's shoulder go cold. up. I, I was like, oh damn! I have been in places, yeah. I think, with you and you know, you with me, that the cold shoulder happens with people that we know. So we know when that happens. Ooh, okay, it's it's still going today, kids. So. Yeah. Uh, but but just so you know, uh, don't say that to anybody ever. <laughs> so Kurt, Steve, and Lori uh, decide to attend the the back to high school sock hop. I guess but back in the day we didn't have this, but they would have a a dance preschool, you know, to to say hey, welcome back to school, which is kind of fun. Uh, in route, kind of cool to have that nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I think the earliest dance we had was homecoming. I believe. Oh, yeah, homecoming was. I think it was our earliest dance. Yeah, I think that is the earliest dance, and then graduation. I don't know. There's probably other dances that happen. I think homecoming is the only one that I can recall. There's probably other ones. There's no enchantment under a sea dance. I wish, but no. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they're driving along. Kurt sees a beautiful woman driving a white Ford Thunderbird. Uh, we're never really introduced to her, but this is actually played by Suzanne Summers, future uh, Three's Company. Uh, actress all her glory yeah 
Yeah. Uh, and she uh, mouths the words, I love you, to Kurt before turning right. And Kurt becomes desperate to find her, begging his friends, please turn, please turn. I, I have to see this woman. I have to find her. Um, and one of his friends tells him the blonde is the wife of a local juror. But Kurt does not believe it. And uh, so when they all go to the hop, they're there seeing every you know, their friends and people dancing. Um, after leaving the hop, Kurt is uh, coerced by a group of greasers called the Pharaohs. Cool and name. the Pharaohs were actually named after George Lucas's local car club when he grew up in Modesto. The Dave. Pharaohs? Really? Yeah. That's a yep. Well, again, you got to realize I mean, you, you think George Lucas has, as you know, like you said, St. George. I, Aaron he John. was a he was a geek, you know. This whole yeah. this whole story is basically him growing up. This is uh this is his. I, I hate. I mean, I, I sometimes it's best to use it this way for people in our age and a little bit you know older or younger. Uh, this is his clerks. You know, he wrote what that, he knew. You know what that is a perfect symbolism. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, because yeah. he wrote about what you he knew. Every every great writer and every great you know director will. Usually their first one is about what do they know? What did they grow up in? And that's when they go to film school and if, you know, I've never gone to film school, but I've, one of the things I've, I've learned from people who have gone, like I had some friends who went to full sale and people who want to be asp- aspiring directors and whatnot. The first thing they tell you in that class in the intro is like, Hey, write what you know, don't write what you don't know, write what you know. And literally like the first project they're given is like, you know, write something, write a script of something that you know. And it could be something bland or like something he collects. It could be like the spores, moles, and fungus. Like, I collect that. Okay, write a movie about that. And they, they yeah. did. Too. I mean, who who would have thought a movie about you know clerks at a at a convenience store would be anything to watch? And look what it did. You know, you know. Yeah, that's that movie script. still carries weight. By yeah. the way, to this day. So, uh, but so yeah, so uh, like I was saying, uh, they group of greasers. You know, uh, get, uh, Kurt. Doug is uh, goes with a couple a bunch of greasers into hooking up a chain to a police car and ripping it out of its back axle. Uh, <laughs> a a plot or a, a trick used a lot. That's not the that's not the last time no, you'll see that. You'll seen like, that a lot. Por- it, Porkies. Porkies did it. Yeah, you'll, yeah. There's I think a, lot. a lot of the adolescent movies did that as well. Yeah, it, that that that's a trope that keeps going yeah. forward for a while. Yeah, and it's it's a great trope and it it works. And that scene is a classic scene. Just you know, for this movie, that scene right there, that and uh, like I said, in the Vespa running into the into the uh, diner, are yeah. like two of the scenes that like really stick out in my head. When anybody, oh, there's a couple other ones too, but, we'll but get like when you mentioned, hey, we're going to do American Graffiti, those are the scenes that like pop pop right really quick in my head. Uh, the there's, fair- there's another scene. I don't think we've gotten to it yet, but uh, hopefully, you know, when we get there. Yeah. The, uh, the 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 pharaohs tell Kurt that the blonde is a prostitute, which. He doesn't believe either. Nope. So next we're, we're introduced to John Milner. He's the oldest of the lead characters. Uh, he's a racer. He's also probably the most interesting if you really look at him. Uh, initially, he seems just more likely to you know to break out of, you know, of complacence and adolescent style. Um, but the characters leading, he, he he starts off very angry at, at the uh, the reliving of, of memories of school. You know, when, when they mention, mm. hey, we're going to the sock op. It's like why why go backwards? Why are you going? That, that's a freshman thing. Why why would you do that? Which, in a way, his speech when he's saying that does speak symbolicity in a lot of ways because a lot of people live backwards; they don't move forwards. Yep. And I think, like even to this day, you carry that those those things. Like 
many people have told me, you know, sometimes that I live sometimes too much in the past. And I used to, I, I did like five years ago, I probably would say you're right. But now it's more about looking forward. I, I respect what I did and the mistakes I did, but moving forward, I always look forward now. I'm like just forward, man. Like, just don't worry about that. And so I, I love that scene when he says that. So except your music taste. <laughs> yeah. We'll discuss that later. <laughs> uh, so, um, so John states that there's uh, that he's not going anywhere off to college. He's not like like the others, but uh, something in his statement suggests that he wants to be different. He wants something different. Uh, he's pessimistically senses that um, that things will be ch- you know, will or will be changing, but for the worse. And you got to realize what, this movie is based you know pre you know you know taking place pre sixties the 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 generation you know the the late sixties generation the, the the civil rights the civil war you know the movement the Vietnam yeah, War hasn't has hit yet yeah. yeah this movie is made post that so you're seeing sort of hints to the, those things to come because you're basically watching the innocence of that generation's America mm-hmm. die you know that's what's you know that's why this is so heavy for a lot of folks that did watch it they're like oh i remember those simpler times you know folks nowadays talk about how it was simpler and, and things were yeah it was but i think at some point a lot of times you know we look at the world that with blinders on as well i know i do mm-hmm. when i look back at my youth you know and granted you know we're, we're from the 90s you know when i was you know a teenager and you know i it's like i have certain blinders on but at the same time when you look in retrospect of what really happened during that time it wasn't a a happy time. It was not. No, it was a lot of a lot of stuff went down, and um, yeah, maybe maybe because we were kind of naive to it, slightly to a point. I, I would agree. It maybe I was with the blinders closed, but I think we knew what was happening. I just don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. That that was kind of like my thing. Like I know well, we we were on. sheltered. I I know we weren't completely sheltered, but we were. You know, we were grew up in you know suburbs. Yeah, you know, yeah. so we didn't see the the real world. I know my eyes didn't get open to the real world till after I graduated high school, and I moved out to you know Los Angeles, Hollywood, California. You know, post you know the the riots. You know, they're, they're, when I got there, things were still kind of steaming. Mm-hmm. You know, they were still. We went in and looked around, you know, Compton and Watts area at the damage. You know, it was still you know the city was still smoldering in a way. Um, you know, so you're so, literally yeah. on fire when you went there, mm-hmm. and we were there. I was living out there during the whole uh, the, the whole OJ trial, so there was a lot of that just going around, and you know, so it's um, you know that really opened my eyes. Uh, this is one thing I remember before I moved out there. I had a I was at a I had a job, and uh, one of the secretaries at the job uh, told her, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm moving out to LA, you know, the summer, and she's like, she's like, it's going to be a, a culture shock, a culture shock, and she kind of explained to me kind of what to prepare myself for. I was like, okay. So but literally it was, it was, you know, you went through a lot in LA. Like you literally brought that experience back home because you had been through so much, which yep. is kind of like the culture shock that people are going to go through. Like in this era, like after this movie, like everything is hitting like civil rights, mm-hmm. Vietnam. And it's like pow, 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 pow. You're getting hit all, all these punches. Yep. And when you went to LA, you saw that firsthand. So that's, that's some deep stuff. Heavy, heavy stuff. That's yeah. Stuff. So, like I was saying, yeah, you know, on this, he, he's, you know, he's see, sensing this, you know, this change of change. Things are coming for worse. Uh, he conveyed uh, his downbeat attitude to his comments about the state of rock and roll going downhill. That was one of the first things uh, when he uh, when he first uh, he, he gets uh, this young girl gets into a car with him because he's trying to pick up girls, you know, drive, cruising down the street, 
uh, in a six four. Sorry, wrong wrong time frame. <laughs> it's a wrong time wrong time frame. <laughs> wrong time. <laughs> well, well, not really. No, sixty three. Yeah, no, he could have been on a six four, but he could have uh, been rolling a six four. You never know. But uh, mm-hmm. but no, that's when we're introduced to. Um, Where'd she go? Is it Mackenzie Phillips? Yeah, Mackenzie Phillips. I'm just trying to, I think, I'm trying, oh, there it is, K- Carol. So we're introduced to Carol because he's, he's hitting on a car full of beautiful girls. And he's like, oh my and God. The one, and the one girl's like, you know, he's like, hey, why don't you, you know, come? She's like, oh, I'm going steady. He's like, well, wouldn't you rather go hang out with somebody that's going to be here with you? And yes. she's like, well, my sister, she, my sister wants to, do, and he doesn't see the sister. She hops in. Yeah. She's like 13 years old. You know, he's 18. So he's uh, like, what the heck? And, you know, feeling a little uncomfortable. He, the, the, um, I guess what I love, I love banter. It's one of my big things. I love to banter with somebody. I like to banter with you and everybody else. Like this scene between, um, John Milner and Mackenzie Phillips, like they call it shit talking. Mm-hmm. They call it banter. I love it. I love everything about it. Just like the, the whole chemistry they have. I live for stuff like that when it's not taken seriously. Cause if you both know it's like tongue in cheek, then it's fun. But if you get like too heated then it's like, it's not fun anymore. But like, this is like, they're just going back and forth, and I love that. Oh, great! Track. Yeah, she has this whole line where she's like, "Well, if I had a boyfriend, he'd kick your, you know, just she, she was you know, throwing it back and forth." Um, most people, you know, if you don't know who Mackenzie Phillips was, she was uh, in this one as well as in a One Day at a Time. Uh, hmm. she, she was uh, in that. She was in ER without a trace. Actually, one God without a trace. I haven't heard that in without a, a trace. Wow. Yeah, I used to love that one. Uh, so she's been a, she has been in the in the spotlight and everything's from a very young age. She's also a, a singer as well. She's had a, a singing career. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I think she's uh, the daughter of one of the mamas and the papas, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, Ch- you know, China Phillips from uh, Wilson Phillips. That's her sister. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey Phillips, Jeffrey Phillips. is uh, was her father. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> or no, sorry, John Phillips. I'm sorry. Where did oh, Jeffrey no. oh. Screw that Jeffrey guy. Sorry, Je- Jeffrey was her brother. Yeah, so he had John oh. Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas. So yeah, so she had she had a bit of a career going for for quite some time. But as we're as we're you know being introduced to the to these two characters, yeah, and like you said, that banter back and forth just is great. So, uh, one of the unscripted scenes that we were talking about beforehand, that scene where that where uh, the water gets thrown into the car and she gets smashed mm. with, yeah, unscripted. It was supposed to actually hit the side of the car. Oh, but instead it went through the window and smacked her right in the face. So, again, one of those one of those funny unscripted moments. Uh, then we uh, we also see a scene a little bit later with with John and Carol and as they're uh, walking, kind of they're walking through a graveyard, car graveyard, kind and of, it's, and it's I, I I love and correct me if I'm not if I'm wrong, right? This scene kind of reminds me of a scene that we're going to see in another movie, like in years to come. Eddie and the Cruisers. Do you remember seeing Eddie and the Cruisers where Eddie is talking to the girl and Eddie's bringing this girl to like this, her, his special place. It's almost like a junkyard of cars. And he called and he, he has like this weird, oddly shaped kind of like throne yeah. out of these car parts. And he's like, this is my home. This is where I feel the most peace. I forgot what he called it, but it was like a cool scene. And I love scenes like that where they go to these abandoned garage places where like these cars are dead it looks kind of like i love those scenes like they're very cinematic but the car stacked on top of each other just looks so oh something about it no yeah very very similar to that and there's also very similar to uh, a scene that's in um uh, the best years of our, of our lives 
um, oh, okay. Yeah. That there's a very similar scene, but you know, I know what I know the scene you're talking about in in Eddie and the Cruisers where they where they he takes her or that's where she discovers she he doesn't take her there at first. Oh no, he takes her there when they're younger, but she rediscovers that's where the hidden tapes are for his yeah yeah that's yeah, exactly yeah. Like um, she recalls it like like the recall I'm like oh they might be there because that's his, that was his place yeah. Uh, also, this foreshadows not only things to come for. For him, but also, also kind of like the structure, the social structure that's going mm. on, and in, in you know, in there. Like I said, when most people don't look at it, they don't think of him too much, but because of who he is. Um, but throughout the movie, there is a, a message being passed around town that somebody is looking for him. There's a a new car running up and down the strip, and uh, that wants to wants to race him. So there's he's constantly hearing about this. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go find the guy. I'll get to him if he if he wants to race me. He'll come to me, you know. Kind of that that. Uh, I love that attitude. Yeah, come find me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, so then we uh, go back to Kurt as uh, he drives to the radio station to ask the local disc jockey Wolfman Jack to read Wolfman a message Jack, for him. David. Come on now to read to read a message for him. Hold on, you cannot glance by Wolfman Jack. Well, nobody can. I mean, it's Wolfman no, Jack. No, dude, you talk about iconic voices of that era, and then like until we lost him, I think it was in the late eighties. Wolfman Jack, if you guys don't know. Actually, mid-95, mid he passed. Mid-95, he was the voice literally of a generation. Man. And I heard him. And he was like, you can, unmistakable. Turn on the radio, like, they say Casey Kasem was a voice of an era, and I agree, sure. But Wolfman Jack, he had that impact. Hey, baby, what's going on? I'm Wolfman Jack, and we're going to play right now some domino. Like, just cool stuff like that. I love that man's voice. Try to mimic it many times. Couldn't do it, but. You know, no, you, you can do it. It just hurts. You can't do it for too long. I can't, yeah, baby. Like, <laughs> no, no, it's it's funny. Uh, he's uh, you know, like you were saying, he's famously known for the gravelly voice. He credits his success with that voice. He says it, it's kept meat and potatoes on the table. Let me let me do it in the voice. It's kept right. meat and potatoes on the table for years for wolf, for Wolfman and Wolf Woman. A couple yeah. of shots, oh, yeah. a couple of shots <laughs> of whiskey helps it, and I've got a nice raspy sound. Uh, I love, yeah, hell yeah. Oh God, I missed that. Guy. So yeah, so he, but throughout the movie, he's this this voice of the town, of the pulse of what's going. Isn't he on. almost like a narrator in a strange kind of way? In a way, I, in I know way. this has been used before, like where there's this like kind of a narrator through it. He's sort of not. He's narrating like people are talking, uh, like calling in, um, saying goodbye to friends or, or you know certain at certain moments. I, I think how it was was like every time like a scene was going on or like a scene was leading up to getting ready to happen. There was a little bit of foreshadowing from the caller or the song, uh, and again, yeah, you yeah, talk yeah. about the song, you talk about the soundtrack, something you there always we go. talk Here's about. Here's another one. Here's another this, case yeah. again of soundtrack and movie in harmony together again. So sorry. Oh no, no, that's just. I mean, exactly. It. I mean, you you look at the you look at the the playlist uh, for this. You know, Love Potion Number Nine, Get a Job, uh, Chantilly Lace. I mean, just only you. Just, I mean, amazing. 14 tracks, just nothing but just like great songs. I got to download that soundtrack. That's a good one. So. And not only that, but, you know, there were so many other ones. You had Johnny Be Good uh, that was on, on the in the movie but not on the soundtrack. Not on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. That's, this it is one good. of those ones. as a background. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of, lot of great songs that are in this but aren't in the soundtrack. I think this one and um, – What's the one? Oh shoot, not Mystic Pizza. Uh, it's another good one. Mystic there's Pizza. a there was a '80s movie with a bunch of uh, old 
had Kevin Klein, have it had Kevin Klein in it, and they and they met. Oh. There was like a college reunion, and um, is that the that's Diner? Isn't Diner? No. Hold no, on, because no, that on. Th- those two soundtracks played on, in my house on. all the time. I thought it was Diner. Hold on, Big Chill, the Big Chill, the Big Chill. Okay, it wasn't that the movie that um that basically Kevin Costner's body, he's like the dead guy. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, chill. yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that, that one. That yeah, sorry, it? yeah, that's one. Yeah, where they're okay. they're mourning, they're mourning the, the uh, their friend Alex's death uh, from suicide, which was you know Kevin Costner. Yeah, that that's soundtrack, that soundtrack, and in, in this body. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry. this this uh, that soundtrack and uh, in um, you know American Graffiti both like played in my house all the time. I was a big fan of Diner. I like Diner a little bit better. That's a movie that we should do. So just saying, destroying out ether. Uh, so, like I was saying, uh, he uh, Kirk goes uh, to the radio station, finds a uh, Wolfman Jack, yeah, and baby. gets him to read the message on uh, on air. Kurt encounters an employee who tells him the Wolfman does not work there; that the shows are all pre-taped for replay, <laughs> and the employee is actually Wolfman because he's talking in more of a natural voice, not the not that voice. Yeah, yeah, that kind of threw me off. Like, that's his real voice again. What's going on? Like, whoa. <laughs> Okay. Now, now, Wolfman Jack, who played himself like in the movie, was specifically chosen by George Lucas to play the role in the movie because, well, Lucas grew up listening to him on the radio, and he's like, "No, they, he's he's the voice that I listen to." He's the voice growing of up. General, yeah, he's kind of like we all have these voices of generations. I'm sure one day we could break down voices of each generation, but he's definitely one of them. Him, Casey Kasem, um. Dick Clark. I mean, before before Wolfman, yeah, Dick, Dick Clark is one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody recently. Nobody recently because there hasn't been iconic DJs like that any longer. I mean, we lost a lot of those in the late '80s to the early '90s when more like kind of the what talk do they rating. call the Dick Clark special now? The New Year's Eve special? Is this, no, it's still a Dick Clark special. No, I think it's still, still. I think it still falls under his name. Yeah, but no, like I said, I think DJs like that kind of fell away. Uh, Stern became the big DJ. But he wasn't a DJ. He was just a radio personality. Yeah, he was not either. He yeah. was, I wouldn't call him a voice of a generation. Like personality of a generation, sure, but yeah. not a voice. No, no but, but you'll, you'll have your local guys, but nothing bigger. I mean, uh, here I know here in Florida we had Bubba the Love Sponge. We had, Ron, we had Ron and Ron. Well, Bubba was big in Florida. Bubba he Bubba covered most me. of Florida, and he was also syndicated. So, But again, he's but not – there's nobody – Yeah, but there's nobody – that's what I'm trying to say is there's nobody yeah. as big as Wolfman because nobody – and Johnny maybe? No, not even that, dude. No, again, that's just local. You're thinking local. You, when I when I went when I went across the country, I never heard anybody from our local side. The monsters, maybe? No, no, not even. Again, most of that internet wise, local. Okay, and and those are big internet, and that's where you know, kind of hate to say, you know, internet kind of killed it. The big radio stations kind of killed it as well. I mean, I even. Yeah, even when I lived out in L.A., you know, K Rock and and uh, Kanak and those they. They didn't really have that anybody That's known. That's Richard Blade, I believe, in K Rock, right? Richard Blade. Uh, Blade, yeah. I mean, there's so many different ones that, that were out there, but you know, vi- video. I hate to say it, you know, video killed the radio star. It also killed the, um, the killed the DJs as well because that's where people know their guys from. You know. Yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the employee accepts the message and promises to try to leave the uh, the Wolfman to air it. Uh, as he's leaving, Kurt sees the employee taking into the or talking into the microphone, hearing the voice, and realizing that was Wolfman. 
uh, who reads the message asking the blonde to meet Kurt or call him on the payphone at Mel's. Uh, Kurt is, uh, is awakened by the phone ne- the next morning. The blonde does not reveal her identity but tells Kurt maybe they'll meet the night that night. Kurt replies that they probably will not because he is leaving town. Now, an interesting part of this movie – you, when people when you know they're, they're filming movies they kind of film everything out of order yeah, this was not like, filmed yeah. this this was shot in sequence so while filming went on the actors grew tired from the shooting schedule so by the time they went down to the final scenes they looked tired for a reason because they were at the end they, of yeah. shooting now it, we're not talking month-long shooting i think this shot the shooting was a month long 29 days so, but yeah, but a month in. So I mean, it's you know, it it wasn't it wasn't like ex- excruciating, but it was still long enough to you know, <laughs> a lot of these guys got in trouble. Um, uh, Harrison Ford uh, had been arrested and kicked out of his um, his hotel room. Um, him and a couple of the other crew members would get drunk in between takes and try to climb the hotel, the Holiday Inn sign. Holiday Inn. Yeah, so they were. Of, you got to find that image for me. The old I Holiday Inn, like the little. I think it was a, a diamond. I think sort of like I forgot what it was. But, but yeah, no, yeah. Pa- pa- Paul Lamont, Harrison Ford, and Bob Hopkins were often drunk in between takes and uh, conducted climbing competitions on top of the local wait, holiday. Wait, did you say Bob Hoskins? Hop, the Bob Hop, Hoskins? No, no, Hop, oh, Hopkins. Hopkins. I'm sorry, I just said Hoskins. No, Hopkins. No, trust me, I would have made. Uh, I was going to say. I would have made a Roger Rabbit reference. Don't you worry. Yeah, I'm just waiting. I'm sorry. So uh, Terry, Terry and John cruise the strip. Terry picks up the flirtatious and rebellious Debbie. Uh, Terry uh, has obviously taken the uh, the car, uh, and uh, and he inadvertently picks up Carol. Uh, oops, I already jumped up. Where's that on here? Sorry. Sorry. No, it's okay. That was uh, that was part from the movie. I was looking at some notes. I don't know why it keeps going there. So Bob, who is played by Bob Falfa, by the way, is is the name of Harrison Ford's Bob character. Falfa. Bob Falfa. Uh, Bob finds John and goats him into racing. Many follow them out to the Paradise Road to watch. As John takes the lead, Bob uh, Bob's tires blow out, causing him to lose control. His car swerves into the ditch, rolls over, crash, crashes, and or catches fire. Uh, Steve and John hop out of their car and rush to the wreck while Bob and uh, Lori crawl out of the staggered and stagger away just before it explodes. <laughs> uh, Lori grips Steve slightly and begs him not to leave uh, because she's uh, she assures him that she that he that he will stay. So he oh. decides that he is not leaving. Steve decides to stay, even though he was you know goading and, and messing with Kurt about you know leaving. not leaving. Yeah. yeah, so he she decides to stay. So at the airfield, Kurt, who was saying that you know he wasn't going to leave, has finally decided you know he's going to go. He says goodbye to his parents, to Lori, Steve, John, Terry, everybody. As the plane takes off, Kurt gazes out the window and he sees the white Thunderbird driving in parallel with his plane. So he never got a chance to meet the girl; she became oh. just as fantasy to him. But we find out, you know, like I said, Steve stays, you know, to, to continue his life uh, off screen. Uh, there's an epilogue that reveals that uh, John was killed by a drunk driver in 1964. Terry was reported missing in action near uh, Alloc in 1965. And uh, and uh, Steve is an insurance agent in Modesto, and Kurt is a writer now in Canada. Hmm. 
And the movie ends with some great old-fashioned rock and roll. Gotta have rock and roll in there. Uh, I love the movie. I, I hadn't watched this, this one literally in years, and I I just I couldn't take my eyes off the screen just Here's because of what thing. it captured. Before you go on into your little um, little dialogue, I watched this movie a week ago, like literally like half awake, half asleep. But there's scenes, the scenes we talked about with the Vespa. Um, we didn't talk about the snowball dancing scene with uh, Cindy Williams and um, I think it was Ron Howard, which had the great music in the background. And we, we talked about the white firebird. There's so many scenes that could just wake you up. I mean, if you're, if you're a movie lover like I am, and, I, and Mike is as well, a lot of impactful scenes. And, and basically a movie of a generation as well. We, we, we're going through Lucas's lens. But I think if you grew up in that era, like my father, when he sees this movie, when he saw it with me, he was like, yeah, that's basically the movie of a generation. Like, I, I grew up with stuff like that. My mom, especially. So it's a generational movie that I think if you're a, movie, a fan of movies, you should watch. That's what I would say. Just watch it at least once. Just to say you watched it. So you know the impact of the times. There's movies that are made for time periods. This is definitely one of them. So just watch it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in years, but I, you know, I, I watched it actually last night, um, just so you know, refresh. And yeah, it, it is one of those great movies. It captures a, a moment. Uh, but it's great to see all these actors, and the, when you sit and think of what what's to come for all the actors and the director. I mean, you're mm-hmm. thinking this is George Lucas pre. He's you know, Star Wars is still just an infant you know kind of a small thought in his head uh you know there's a rumor or, or you know that uh that this is where he you know came up with the name for r2d2 when they were in the hotel room editing you know saying so, you know hey hey my role you know role two you know dialogue two so that's you know there's like little things like that you know we're seeing harrison ford you know at, at the infancy we you know it's just great to see like god you know, you don't these guys don't know where their lives are going just yet and it's it's amazing to see it they have no clue of the journey it's going to take them on the next film and it's and it this is like i said you know with george lucas this is his infancy he's just doing a job really right now you know he, yes it is a passion project but this was like his last true like direction in writing before Star Wars, I mean, then before everything just took off, you know, and every and he became hands off really when it came to like on set, you know, type things. So this is a like I said it's a great movie to watch and it, and it captures a, a great time and a great generation too. You know, uh, a lot of folks you'll forget about. You know, they, they they talk about the boomers, but it's kind of fun to see the boomers before they were boomers. <laughs> yeah, before they were boomers, they were here in this era. So yeah, definitely a worth of a watch. I guess if you would do the straight jacket call. Another four to five for me. Yeah, I'd give it that. Yeah, I'd definitely give it that. It's just so. If you don't mind watching movies from a time, like it's a not a. I won't say. Well, I guess it's kind of a period piece. Period piece. We 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 can. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a kind of period piece. Yeah, and it's kind of a period piece. So it it can be now. Guess what? Clerks is a period piece. I I I hate to say it. it I hate to say it, but it's a it's cap it's capturing a a moment in a in a certain period. If my you know my daughter goes to college. If she were ever to do a college paper on the 60s and she needed some, you know, research to do, she did that. She definitely should watch this film and give her a head start. So, yeah. 
Very good. All right, guys. So make sure you guys do check us out with Heroes Asylum Network. You can catch a Heroes Asylum podcast. Uh, have a couple of years worth of archives on there, as well as the yeah. Midnight Movies, where Kane and I sit and watch do watch along with some movies, as well as Kane's new baby. Wow, well, not yeah. new. It's thirteen. It's thirteen episodes old no, now. Yeah, we're going on fourteen. Love those and chair shots. Uh, check us out. Uh, we're going on episode fourteen, which I cannot believe. On uh, Twitter, Instagram at Lobos and Chair Shots. And if you got any questions, ideas, shoot me a message. I'm on there as well, and Mike is on there as well, so he'll answer them. But yeah, it's it's going pretty well. Um, uh, the reception is actually shockingly <laughs> positive. I just it's been a passion project for a while, and I, I think you were the one who kind of pushed me into doing it. And um, thank you. And it's just taking on a life of itself. And I, I love the, the things that we do on there. And hopefully you guys just like and share and just keep that train going in logos and tear shots. All right, guys, make sure you guys do uh, subscribe on our Facebook page and at Twitter and Instagram. Yep. Uh, Twitter at here's asylum underscore podcast, Instagram at the here's asylum. And as always from Mike to me to you, get to the asylum. See you later.